What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the Boogie Wooker Man. Tell my people and my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. So you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. My name is Colt Cabana. I'm a professional wrestler and, well, kind of a comedian. This is Kikutaro. He's a Japanese professional wrestler and kind of a comedian. This is Scotland's very own Grado. He's a comedian and kind of a professional wrestler. We do comedy wrestling. Our style of wrestling isn't for us to try and look as tough as we can. Our style of wrestling is to make you laugh. I am here to sell a wrestling match, Marty. Trust me, this will be the greatest match in the history of the world. You think of Guerrero Malenko. You think of Fez and Rogers. You think of Flair and Steamboat. June 8th, Monroe, New Jersey, Pro Wrestling Syndicate presents Colt Cabana against the Disco Inferno. How can that not be the best match of all time? Honestly, Disco Inferno versus Colt Cabana. I think it writes itself. Money back guarantee. No, 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 no. I can, I, I can already see it. The fans standing on the tops of their toes. Everything's set up to be the best match ever. The 70s versus the 10s. What do you call after the 90s? The O's? WCW versus a guy who just moved out of his parents' house. Both great hair, both great sideburns. It's a match for the century, and you're going to see it at Pro Wrestling Synagogue, June 8th. No, you said Pro Wrestling Synagogue. That's, oh, did it's I? Pro Wrestling Syndicate. Subliminal. Didn't mean to. Jews. A lot of Semitism. Not yeah. anti, just Semitism. A lot of Semitism. Yeah, it got Jewy there. I mean, Disco Inferno looks Jewish, doesn't he? Disco Inferno, Cole Cabana, Monroe, New Jersey. You can take that to the bank that the Jews run. No money back guarantees. I think it's a keeper. Next. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you today and powered by our good friends over at ConcertMats.com. 
Head on over to ConcertMats.com and find out how you can turn your memories into a -a one-of-a-kind floor mat in just three easy steps by immortalizing your favorite concert or event tickets in the form of a -a one-of-a-kind concert mat. And get on over to ConcertMats.com while you're waiting to hear more about this episode as well as hear a little bit more about Concert Mats later on in the show. And if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by the one and only, my tag team partner, John Paz. And John, today on the show, we are joined by a man who helped reinvent the medium known as the wrestling podcast. The one and only Colt Cabana joins the program And I can speak for myself personally, I spent many a days out in the backyard mowing the lawn, listening to The Art of Wrestling, and the gift that was given to us once Colt Cabana was released by the WWE in 2011, and I think we are all better wrestling fans for having had The Art of Wrestling enter our lives at one point or another, whether it's the CM Punk Thanksgiving epic from a few years back, or it's the great power Udi days of Cliff Compton and Luke Gallows from the early episodes of The Art of Wrestling. It's been Colt Cabana's way of giving back to the wrestling community by also just chatting with his buddies. And the reason we have Colt on today is to talk about the hugely successful Wrestling Road Diaries series, which is in its third installment featuring a few phenomenal guests that John is going to get to in just a minute. But John, having Colt Cabana on the show in in its own right is pretty cool. But to talk about the Wrestling Road Diaries and to really just kind of get to uh, shoot the breeze with the guy who can kind of be considered to be one of your peers, is uh, it's another cool thing that this show has definitely brought to both you and myself. Yes, Chad, back here again at the two-man power trip of wrestling for another awesome episode. And today is quite a special day and quite a special episode because it's with the one, the only, the godfather of professional wrestling podcasting himself, Boom Boom Classic Colt Cabana. So it's quite a special episode today and a little funny little tidbit to let you in on the behind the scenes of the show. Uh, we had a sponsor not too long ago basically say the only reason they wanted to sponsor the show was because of past success with wrestling podcasts. And they mentioned only... And specifically, Colt. So, you know, a little thanks to Colt there for uh, helping us out and getting us some sponsors, which is kind of funny and kind of cool. But it just goes to show you that uh, his reach is not only uh, long, but it also can be uh, quite uh, bountiful as well. So thank you to Colt for that. Just a little funny tidbit. But obviously, he's been doing this for a very long time in the podcasting game. And it was really, really cool to be named in Rolling Stone as one of the top wrestling podcasts along with Colt and of course Colt kind of posted it on uh, social media that he was listed first and I think that was uh, for a reason and I think uh, he was number one on their list with uh, a lot of credits going to him which is very very cool and uh, we were glad to see that for sure and we were obviously honored to be on that list mentioned with him so that's very very cool but uh, more importantly why Colt was on is obviously he was promoting wrestling road diaries three and i just love these road diaries not only because colt's in it he's so entertaining and he's so funny he's just like a naturally funny guy naturally really good in front of the camera obviously i mean he's just he's just a great guy with a great personality and great charisma 
But I love the behind-the-scenes look at these wrestlers. I mean, look at him and these other wrestlers on the road. What are they really doing day-to-day? What is it really like being a professional wrestler? And a lot of these documentaries really don't hit on that. You hear, you know, you see the the big crowds or you see the good stuff. But I love it when you see, like, the down-and-dirty stuff. The hotel is... is, uh, jams you got to go to another hotel uh maybe doing some drinking while in that hotel room just hanging out uh shooting the shit doing you know basically passing the time getting from one town to another so i really really enjoy his certain look at it too and obviously with this third wrestling road diaries it's more about funny equals money and he goes into with kiki taro who's just an absolute japanese legend and a hilarious comedy wrestler obviously you got grado himself is in there then you got another special appearances from guys like joey ryan so if you uh, are on the fence about this dvd or this documentary and you really really want to see it i would jump over that fence and run to go see because this is a film i really really enjoyed it this is probably my favorite one so far the road diaries i mean they're all good and obviously i love that brian Danielson was in the first one but this one is just it just struck a chord it's just it was very funny very cool but then you get to the realism of it of the the hecklers and, and the shitty fans and stuff like that so it's real behind the scenes look at these guys and it's a lot of fun and i think you're really really going to enjoy it and if you're a colt cabana fan you're going to absolutely love it yeah, it's not only the cameos, it's not only the uh, presence of Grado or the appearances by Kikataro and some of the friends that Colt has met along the way that are on the shows that he's uh, also wrestling on. You know, you talk about the podcast and give or take every single one of the guys that he does talk to has been on the Art of Wrestling podcast, which, you know, it's been such a, a constant in the wrestling podcast medium. And there's been a ton of pro wrestler hosted podcasts to come out since the Art of Wrestling just absolutely took off and really reinvented what a wrestling podcast is. And, you know, not to knock anybody else who does a wrestling podcast that is a wrestler, Colt Cabanas is just a different style. It's more of a a general talk between two people rather than it just being an interview. And obviously, people have different styles and people have different ways about how they go into their interviews. But I think what Colt Cabana does, which is really cool, is he just makes it feel like you're in the locker room and you're talking to your buddy. And who knows what's going to come up? You could talk about their childhood for 45, 50 minutes and then talk about their wrestling career for 20. Or you could just go straight into talking about the highlights of a wrestling career it's whatever kind of you know strikes you at that point and with us I mean we do straight interviews I mean we're uh for even for the friends that we've made in the business we uh we just like to do the interviews we like to get the stories out there behind some of the matches and the moments that we know as a fan or as somebody who downloads podcasts this is what you would want to listen to So obviously the Wrestling Road Diaries is going to be a series that Colt puts together with that same thought in mind. He's going to give you that back-end look into what independent wrestling is for guys traveling across a territory or two different shows. And the dynamics between the three of them is just absolutely off the charts. And really get out there and support Colt Cabana. Hit ColtMerch.com. See all the, the... past wrestling road diaries that he still has available uh, featuring Brian Danielson featuring Cliff Compton featuring Luke Gallows 
and they're really worth the price of that DVD or the digital download that you can get. Now, obviously, speaking of wrestling and speaking of Cole Cabana as a wrestler, John, it's no secret in the, the history that you have with Ring of Honor and going to so many of those early shows and seeing a guy like Cabana being a standout performer amongst a group of very, very serious competitors. Uh, he definitely brought a little bit of light nature to uh, to those shows and definitely got them off on the right foot sometimes, kind of getting the crowd a little loose. And I know you've got so many memories of Cole Cabana and Ring of Honor, but if you can, just share with us a couple of them and some of the highlights, if you can, of Cole Cabana's run during those Ring of Honor days. Yes, Chad, the most important thing to me on this interview because I was such a fan of ROH kind of in its prime and when ROH was in their absolute prime, you know, the 03, the 04, 05, kind of the 06 era of ROH when they were just on fire. Gabe's booking was great. The talent was off the charts. Everything was just working with them. The crowds were awesome. Everything was kind of just unbelievable at that point. Think about Colt and his time there. He was on top of the heap. He was on top of the world in ROH when they were in their absolute prime. I mean, now it is cool to see him return to ROH recently, and obviously we're going to see a cool Dalton Castle feud kind of be building over the next couple weeks. So that is definitely cool, and it's great to see a great match he had against Jay Lethal. It's great to see ROH now kind of respecting their lineage even more and, and bringing back these former ROH legends, and they're just letting them kind of tear the house down all over again. So, I mean, that is really cool. But if I can go back to kind of my original point about ROH and their prime, Absolutely love the Second City Saints. Obviously, Ace Steel, who we get into great detail in the interview. And then obviously, CM Punk, the uh, the great tag team with Punk and Cabana. They won the ROH tag titles twice. They enjoyed some great feuds and some really, really memorable matches, especially against Whitmer and Moff, a.k.a. the Prophecy, the Briscoe Brothers, the Rottweilers, uh, a.k.a. a part of that group was the Pitbulls. I mean, I can go on and on and just list these amazing matches that Punk and Cabana were having. Obviously, Punk versus Cabana as well as just another legendary feud and great stuff there. That was awesome. I really, really enjoyed those days of ROH. They were just on fire then. They could do no wrong, and they were just hitting home runs left and right. And we talk about in the interview, a huge home run with Colt and a huge home run with ROH was his feud with Homicide, where it really showed his brawling side. I mean, we've seen his world of sports side, we've seen his wrestling side, we've seen his comedy wrestling side, we've seen it all from him, but the brawling aspect, the tough guy aspect, the Drano being involved in the storyline, I mean, the blood, the absolute goriness of the feud, really, really cool and really well done. And it just showed you another side of Colt, and it just showed you how much of a great professional wrestler he was. That he can not just do the comedy, but he could really do it all. And then, of course, had to talk about it. Brian Danielson, that amazing feud when Danielson had that amazing run with the Ring of Honor World Heavyweight title. And obviously, you go from the comedy aspect and the brawling aspect, and then you throw in the aspect of, man, this guy can work with the greatest wrestler, the greatest worker in wrestling, especially at that point, and possibly of all time, Brian Danielson. So it's just amazing that those two were able to tear the house down. We go into great detail about their awesome one hour long Broadway in Chicago where Danielson actually gets injured about five or ten minutes in the match and they continue throughout and they go the whole 60 minutes so that's just unbelievable and it's awesome to get to talk to him because he's such a big fan of those matches and of that era and of that fuse that was really cool and then just one other small little tidbit just to throw out there 
great stuff on the seven levels of hate documentary obviously Colt is a former two-time NWA world champion, so it's really fun to go into the Adam Pierce feud, the scrap daddy, if you will. Just a great, great feud, and I had to touch on that topic because it's not only an awesome documentary, but an awesome feud and great psychology was done throughout that feud. So anybody out there interested in some documentaries, love wrestling documentaries like I do, check out Seven Levels of Hate. And of course, cannot forget, gotta check out Wrestling Road Diaries 3. You absolutely have to check out the Wrestling Road Diaries 3 and go and check out the trailers on YouTube and also on Colt Cabana's website. And while you're at it, go check out the Wrestling Road Diaries 1 and 2 and see some awesome moments from some guys traveling the road and running into some crazy uh, couple scenarios there in a few of those Wrestling Road Diaries, uh, especially you get to see the final days of the independent wrestler known as Brian Danielson as he was on his way to becoming Daniel Bryan, and Colt was able to capture that magic on film. Get your hands on all the Wrestling Road Diaries, and of course, we want to thank the man behind the art of wrestling, Mr. Boom Boom himself, Colt Cabana, for joining us today. And we also want to let you know, if you uh, have a favorite event that you've ever seen Cole Cabana at, you want to head over to ConcertMats.com. I know my tag team partner has a couple of those early ROH tickets that he would love to turn into a concert mat with the big Ring of Honor logo and all the colors that they used to have on their tickets. And you can go to ConcertMats.com and find out the three easy steps it takes to make your very own personalized memory come to life in the form of a concert mat. And I know, John, you've got a couple of those Murphy Rec Center tickets hanging around or the Rahway Rec Center or the Rexplex, and you definitely could turn your memories into an amazing concert mat over at concertmats.com. And as you hear the music start to creep in, John, take them the rest of the way, hit them with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business, and get it on over to Colt Quebec. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, please subscribe to us on iTunes. While you're on iTunes, check out the feed for past legendary episodes featuring the late great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, Bruno Sammartino, Jesse the Body Ventura, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, WWE Lead Attorney. Jerry McDivitt, the phenomenal AJ Styles, the Demon Kane, Dean Ambrose, and so many more. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. Also, while you're surfing the web, go to wrestlinginc.com. Yes, that is wrestlinginc.com, your number one news source for professional wrestling and sports entertainment. Also, please check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com for your t-shirt needs. Featuring stores like our own store at the two-man power trip of wrestling, Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Magnum TA, Paul Orndorff, Kevin Thorne, and Buff Bagwell. Also, for you Android users out there, check us out on Player FM. And now, without any Further ado, a former two-time NWA World Heavyweight Champion. He is also a former two-time Ring of Honor World Tag Team Champion. You may know him as Classic, but we know him as Boom Boom. 
He is Colt Cabana. Please enjoy. Boom, boom, Colt Cabana. Boom, boom, Colt Cabana. Boom, boom, Colt Cabana. It's Colt Cabana. Straight out of the shop, Mr. Shake and Bake, Colt 45. Wrestling cause he feels alive. Great memories and good, good times. Who said no to corporate America? Give it up for your favorite character. Cabana Rambo with his head band on. Colt tried to front hit it. Well, joining us on the line tonight is what I'd like to call the godfather of professional wrestling podcasts. He might not have been the first, but he definitely reinvented the medium uh, largely to the uh, just amazing nature of his interview skills. And now he's set off on the third installment of the Wrestling Road Diaries. He is a well-traveled veteran of professional wrestling. He is the one and only Boom Boom himself, Colt Cabana. Thank you so much for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I appreciate the kind words, too. Oh, it's my pleasure. I spent many, uh, many a weeks listening to the art of wrestling, thinking one day, one day I'd love to be in that chair and uh, share the gift of gab like you did, and you, you really, like I said, you reinvented uh, what the wrestling interview, what the podcast really is all about, taking that uh, WTF style or the Nerdist style and really just bringing it into its own. But we'll get to that in a minute. But I want to talk about the Wrestling Road Diaries 3. And, uh, man, oh, man, you did it again. Another polar, you know, just a completely captivating and amazing look into the life of a wrestler. Uh, the third installment with you, Grado, and Kikataro, which was an awesome addition. But seeing this finally uh, hit the shelves, get out there to the masses, what are your recollections on the third installment of the Wrestling Road Diaries? Yeah, I like how you're like, Kikataro is a great addition. And it's kind of funny because, um, well, I don't know if it's funny. The whole movie's supposed to be about being funny. But, yeah, he's, I mean, he's a legend in the world of comedy wrestling. He's wrestled in front of 50,000 people in the Tokyo Dome, like, as a comedy wrestler before. And, um, you know, he, uh, like Darren Corbin, who was, uh, in the movie, who did some wrestling, comedy wrestling stuff, he was telling me how, like, Kikataro was his idol, and, um, and I, I, whenever I talk to people who are, who like comedy wrestling or influenced it, you know, they all, they all kind of say, like, Kikataro, he's almost the godfather of comedy wrestling a little bit in his own way, maybe in Japan. I mean, I don't know, comedy wrestling goes so far, like, you know, there's guys like Les Kellett and Cat Weasel, and just for, you know, guys in Memphis for years. I mean, there's so many. But anyways, uh, this was our, my opportunity to show this, the new generation of guys who are trying to, to do that style and document it. And um, it came out really well. It's just I've been in my apartment yesterday and today packing DVDs, shipping, printing labels, um, you know, because uh, it's a DIY situation with me always. I like to do it myself. And, um, so it's been an exciting process. And I remember, I remember this, I remember the same fear of when I put out one and two of like, uh, like just all the stress and uh, of sitting and packing, but it's also like really rewarding because, you know, people are buying and supporting and, you know, that's what this whole, that's what the whole podcast was about. That's what this whole kind of, you know, post WWE era movement of mine is all about is that 
like I'm super grateful because if no one was buying it, I wouldn't be stressed out. You know, I'd just be sitting on my couch filling three orders and shipping them out. So it's, uh, it's exciting for me. Uh, it's so cool. And, you know, the Wrestling Road Diaries 1 and 2, not without their fair share of comedy, just not with comedy-specific wrestlers. Obviously, when you take a Brian Danielson and a uh, Doc Gallows and a Cliff Compton, obviously there's comedic elements there just between the chemistry that you all had. But it really, Kikutaro sets the pace from the start of the documentary. And then as you get to see kind of the cameos that pop in and everybody kind of talks about their own styles, that they have. I really think the addition of Grado and getting Grado out there to the masses, more than what we can see him you know, on a weekly basis if we catch him out on a, on a TNA wrestling or if you see him in your local indie. I mean, learning his story was pretty interesting and getting to know that you, know, you don't set out to be a comedy wrestler. You set out to be a world champion or the guy who's putting his hand to his ear and calling to the crowd. But what was it about Grado that really drew you to him? Is it, here's, a, here's a guy that, yeah, that new generation of wrestlers Grado is really, uh, he's going to carry the flag, uh, you know, for years to come with that comedy genre. Uh, He might eat the flag, actually. I don't know. But, um, yeah, yeah, obviously the documentaries are all, are meant to be lighthearted in general. And and obviously, you know, dare I say, in the background, Gallows might be the craziest and funniest of them all, you know. Uh, But that, that documentary was more about WWE wrestlers coming back onto the indie scene. But in general, that you know, Gallows is the biggest goof there is. He's a he's a legend when it comes to that. Um, but this documentary itself was, um, you know, it's not like we're not saying like this is the funniest documentary. What we're saying is that there's an art of comedy wrestling, and we want to show you how how it works, sometimes how it doesn't work, and why we do that style of wrestling. Now, Grado himself is one of the most natural fun loving dudes. And so he takes that into the ring. Um, you know, I, I, I think as I'm 36 years old, I've, you know, matured. I'm not as wild as I was in my, uh, my, te- my twenties, if you will. But that was kind of always my, my shtick too, is like, I was just a fun loving dude. I like to have a good time. And I brought that into the ring. Grado's still in his twenties. He's still doing that. And I, um, you know, this is where he shines because people get to know the real Grado. You know, Grado became a cult hit by um, being exposed in the Vice documentary, uh, The British Wrestler, I think it was called, and then also in the BBC documentary, documentary The Insane Fight Club. So he's not no stranger to um, this kind of, this, you know, the, the camera being around him and playing up for the camera. And dare I say, like, this is his element, you know, and if I was to say where, you know, if people only know Grado as that guy in Impact Wrestling, I would say you don't know the, the real Grado, and I, I would blame them a little bit for not putting him in a situation where they would document him for six months before they put him on, a, on their television show, because that's where, that's why you cheer this guy, is because you learn about him um, from outside of just a wrestling show, and that's what's great about, uh, you know, I would say, you know, like a podcast like myself, or these documentaries, is that you really, really learn about the person and then we learn like why we cheer these people because we're supporting them and we want to see them because we we feel that we know them. Yeah, and you know your podcast is so unique because of the fact. I mean, you are a professional wrestler, so you guys have a bond. You know, basically from when you sit down, whether or not you've shared a locker room with them a thousand times or two times, you know, you guys know the grind. You know what it's like to get out there, and it really you can tell. You know, it's something special between the two of you versus you know you take a show like us where. 
you know, even though we might have shared a certain Rolling Stone podcast list together, ours is a lot different because, you know, we really want to break down the career. We want to learn some, you know, insights to matches, feuds, blah, blah, blah. You took that story of Grado and you brought it out to the masses, and I think it was told in such a great fashion because he's from, you know, he's from, he's from Europe, you know, he's from a different land from the United States, and to learn how wrestling affected him was, uh, was pretty cool. But, you know, you also see him interacting with some of these independent uh, wrestling crowds, and, uh, you know, that, is, <laughs> that in itself could be a documentary, just the crowds, but... How were they when it came to the filming? I mean, there was one scene towards the end where, uh, you know, you, you definitely let loose. I'm not going to spoil everything here, but, you know, what were those crowds like? Uh, when they see a documentary coming, do they kind of anticipate uh, acting a certain way towards these uh, performers that are involved with it? Oh, well, you can let us spoil I appreciate you, you saving it, but are you talking about the, the two hecklers? Yeah. Yeah, and, and I, you know, I, I, first of all, I don't think those guys even knew a documentary was happening because – I think the cool thing about these things are that uh, at a wrestling show, there's always cameras out. So, I, you know, like we put up our warnings that there's filming, but I'm sure people just walk by it. And um, So I, I, those two hecklers, I think they were just, that was like, that was real independent wrestling. And so I'm not even upset. You know, during the match, I was upset. And you could tell when I kind of, I go off, I'm upset. But looking back at it and when Jack Edinger put it all together, um, I, you know, I was happy that that part of it was told because that is part of it. And those two guys represent something that does happen at independent wrestling shows. Um, it, it, it doesn't, it's, it doesn't always go my way. It's not always amazing. It's not always, you know, sunshine and roses or whatever it might be. So I think it's really cool that we got that, you know, we were able to show, uh, you know, the hilarious stuff that happens and also the stuff that we don't want to happen, but does happen because that's life. And I think that went with the, those two hecklers. And then also I think, uh, the great, the great O Tracy Smothers match, which was just a, a total train wreck, which made it so awesome to watch and be a part of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've, uh, we've had the opportunity to interview Tracy and it's, uh, it's definitely interesting. You know, it's, uh, it can go one way and when you start, uh, start going one way and it go, goes down another road, but that was another great part. As like I mentioned earlier, the cameos, and there's a couple really great ones. Tracy Smothers being towards the top of that list, but, Talk about, if you can, including some other wrestlers in the project, because another guy who we interviewed a long time ago, early in our run, was Dick Justice, and it was awesome to see him on there, because there's a guy that needs a bigger platform, uh, because he is just a, uh, just a, what a wild, contained character he is inside that big body of his. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's been the fun part of the, the, all the movies, one and two and three is, um, you know, because for me, like, and I've talked about this a lot, like, wrestling with shadows and beyond the mat. Like I could just go back and I could search for those cameos and you see who's back there and you see what's going on and you see Christopher Daniels and beyond the mat doing stretchy bands, you know, getting a dark match that is never even talked about. Or you see the headbangers, you know, messing around with Bret Hart's kids. And so I always love the fact that, that we always have people roaming around, you know, the, the first one, you know, you could see guys like Kevin Owens and, and Cesaro uh, you know, and, and even Cornette just roaming around the back. It's pretty cool. And in this one, um, yeah, Tracy was great. And, you know, Joey Ryan fresh, Joey Ryan is fresh off of that, that viral video. And this was filmed that, that dick flip had just happened, you know? And so, uh, you know, he was very controversial and, uh, and Dick too. And, um, you know, I agree and I disagree with like your statement. I, I know you were saying he's a bigger platform, but, 
you know, he's been doing it X amount of years, and I, I think he's on the right path. You know, it's about that slow and steady race. And, um, you know, I'm glad that we were able to give him a nice uh, opportunity to be on the movie and show his side of comedy. And I think he's on the right path. I think it's, uh, you know, you can't just uh, race right to the top. But, you know, he's definitely people are getting are learning about him or, or knowing about him. And he's been on some higher profile shows. I was on a show in Austin, Texas with him the other night. And so it's cool to see that he's getting flown around. I remember when, you know, he would just, uh, he would come with Colin Delaney to shows just, uh, just to come to shows. He wasn't even booked. I don't even know if he was Dick Justice at the time. He was just a dude. <laughs> and I watched the documentary. I, you know, I love it. It's great stuff. I like the realism. I like the behind the scenes look. I like how, it's not, like you said, it doesn't exactly work out the way it's supposed to, but something that really interests comedy and wrestling, but not only that, the psychology that goes into it. And you're kind of the mastermind of the psychology. Can you just talk about the psychology aspect, that's kind of like the behind the scenes of comedy and wrestling? Yeah, I, you know, a lot of people think like if I'm out there and I'm, I'm smiling and I'm goofing around and I'm just kind of farting around, they think that like I don't take it serious or like, you know, like, I, I don't think it's serious as other wrestlers who portray serious wrestlers. And, you know, that's the farthest from the truth is that there's just so much that goes into breaking down why something can be funny or why I do something or even the steps or the manipulation. And it's all calculated, you know, whether it's, whether it's planned in the back or whether it's improv. And I obviously do a lot of improv stuff. And you see in the movie with, with this whole pizza thing that goes on, like, you know, that was all, that was all improv. And, um, and that's stuff I love, but it is calculated. And that's why I say, like, and that's why I think that doing the comedy is a little harder than doing regular wrestling because essentially I'm doing regular wrestling and then I'm adding a whole new layer uh, of, of this comedy on top of the wrestling. Like, I'm not just doing comedy. I'm not doing stand-up in the middle of the ring. I'm doing professional wrestling, and then I'm also trying to do comedy with the pro wrestling. And uh, there is a lot of calculation that goes into it. I think a lot more than people think that there is. Yeah, there's one part which I thought was funny. It was like uh, the referee almost woke him up because uh, yeah, he was supposed to be knocked out, but kind of counting him down. And you had a kind of a point where you said to yourself, wait a second, I was going to move on, but I really need to react to this. Can you just talk about like what was your mindset there? Like you had to almost react to what was going on? Yeah, yeah. there was a, a thing in the movie where um... – or like Kikutaro's like sleeping, and then we were gonna do a thing where, uh, where I I quietly cover him, and then he kick he does a big kick out at two and a half, and um, what we didn't realize is that the ref would count, and he would count so hard, so obviously, he would he would slap the mat and wake wake up Kikutaro, and so the fans started blaming him, the referee, and I didn't even think about it like when I was kind of putting it all together, and so like there was a moment where. I was about to skip that and like, but I, you know, when the, the fans were getting on the referee and like either I could skip it and not acknowledge it or like, why wouldn't I acknowledge it and be in the moment? And so I think that's an important thing that some, uh, a lot of young wrestlers don't understand is be in the moment. And for a second, I, w I wasn't in the moment. I was thinking about what I was going to do next or whatever. And so, um, but luckily like, you know, my experience kind of kicked in and I was like, Oh, of course, recognize it and, and get as much or as little as I can out of just that one thing. And I do, but, uh, that's a, a big thing for, for comedy wrestling is, is being in the moment 
And, um, and that's a big thing for improv. I guess for any wrestling is being in the moment. And, um, yeah. Well, you played it off pretty good, I thought. And it's great to hear you say, you know, like, wow, you know, I need to have, uh, you know, use my experience more and realize that I should have realized that sooner. I just thought that was funny that you said that because you noticed it, but you thought that you didn't notice it quick enough. Right, right. So there's a, uh, you know, I was good, but not that good. <laughs> was there a favorite part of, you know, doing this documentary? Because obviously it's fun traveling the road with a guy like Grado or Kiki Taro. But is there a favorite part when you're filming this stuff? Or there's all this kind of just fun putting it together? Oh, I'll be honest. I, I It kind of, um, as, as much as, as a ham as, as I am, like, I, I'm almost glad when it's done. Like, I don't really like the camera following me too much. Like, I, I'm very comfortable with the camera. I'm comfortable with being myself. But I'd almost rather not have that pressure of almost being on or having a camera, like, constantly on you the whole time. Because um, it's kind of, because, like, I'm, you know, I'm in it, and I'm, but I'm also producing it, and I'm also ha- like I'm half directing it as we're doing it. So when things are happening, like there was a point where Kikitaro and Grado start like speaking their native tongues on the phone, and I think it was, we were driving, and Kikitaro was speaking Japanese, and I thought, oh, it'd be funny if Grado was speaking Scottish on his phone. And so then we film it. It turns out to be a real funny part of the movie. And that's like me, that was me directing like, oh, hey, this, hey, and then I told them to kind of do it. And so like, I, I just, I'm doing a lot on top of having a camera in my face. So I almost like when it's just, uh, when it's over, to be honest. <laughs> well, you're definitely, you know, no stranger to documentaries, obviously one, two, and three, but one documentary that sticks out and it shows the exact opposite side, you know, it's no comedy really involved. It's more of your serious side and shows your kind of versatility in the business. Seven Levels of Eight against Adam Pierce, another awesome documentary. Did you kind of, you know, at that point, did you not like the cameras following you around so much for that documentary as well? I thought you were going to say Mansum. <laughs> did you know I was in Mansum? No, I didn't know that. Do you know what movie that is? No. It's uh, Morgan Spurlock. It's about men with, with uh, that are very hairy. And in that in that movie, I shaved Sean Devari's butt. Oh my god! <laughs> so that it's another documentary. I, yeah, it's on Netflix, I think. Um, Devari's Devari's one of the the people in it. Um, yeah, Seven Levels of Hate. No, I, you know uh, that was more of a Adam had me. You know, Adam had kind of control all of that. He edited it, and produced it, and did everything. So. Um, you know, I think that was mainly just the matches. That wasn't really a follow around necessarily as a more of like, this is kind of what happened along with some talking heads. So I don't mind sitting down and doing an interview. Obviously, you know, I've been podcasting six and a half years, so I, I, I'm, I'm easy to sit down and get that done. But, uh, I, I think it was a little, it's a little different compared to the diaries where the diaries are, you know, essentially the diaries where you're following a, a day in the life where this is just kind of, a recap of uh, something that went down. I love that documentary so much because it got so in-depth into really kind of what was going on kind of behind the scenes as well with the NWA and obviously you being a two-time NWA World Heavyweight Champion, which is pretty prestigious, but all the backstage stuff was so interesting. During that time and that, you know, so much turmoil going on with the NWA and stuff, did you kind of feel the tension and was like, man, you know, I got to get out of here? Or were you actually going on here? I'm just, you know, kind of going to roll with it. Um, you know, 
Like, I understand it was special to those guys because they were trying to build something up. Um, but, you know, the NWA had lost so much name recognition and value over the years. And, you know, like, at that time, I was really, like, everything was in full gear for me. And, and I was traveling to, you know, I, like, held that title for seven weeks the first time. And within that seven weeks, I took it and I, and I toured it in Japan. I toured it in Germany. And I traveled all around with it, whereas some of the champions in the past hadn't done anything with it. And so uh, the, the, one, the one thing is I, I just didn't understand why they would – I guess I didn't understand why they wouldn't see the value in me. But that's just me selfishly speaking because, of course, I see value in myself because I'm my own boss, and if no one believes in me, who will? So – Obviously, the Sheik, who I think was the big mastermind in making sure it was off of me, you know, he thought there was more value in him because he's his own brand and he's his own person. So it's kind of just a fighting of egos, I guess. But, you know, I, I would have liked to have had a nice run with it and, and help build it a little bit. But unfortunately, it's not what happened. And now, to be honest, I don't even know who holds it now. So that's kind of sad. <laughs> I actually think it might be Tim Storm, but I'm not 100% sure. I know that uh, Jack Jane recently lost it, but not 100% sure on that. I think it's Tim Storm, but it just goes to show you that maybe they made some mistakes along the way because somebody like Cole Cabana, who has this huge fan base, wouldn't it kind of behoove them to put the title on somebody who has a huge fan base and can kind of tour the world and be recognized, you know, in Japan and so forth? Well, I mean, that, those were my thoughts exactly. and um, But, you know... Weirdly enough, in everything, there's all this weird politics, and uh, and you can I don't know if it comes off in that in that documentary, but like I don't know, politics aren't my thing. I try to stay out of it. Uh, it just it doesn't interest me, and like my life is great either way. So if they want to cry about who's winning and who's losing or whatever it might be, I'll let them cry, and I'll just continue to do my thing. You know, would have been nice, of course, to have a nice long run, but I, I'm not going to cry about it. Right, and the real cool thing about the documentary to me is obviously, you know, Scrap Daddy did a great job with it, but the matches, you get to see all seven matches and the psychology behind the matches and the build to each match. Was those, you know, some of your favorites with Scrap Daddy? Because I feel like you guys had great chemistry. Well, I like how you keep calling them Scrap Daddy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, obviously, in it, you know, we, we've wrestled forever, and I usually say that, like, I have two favorite heels I've wrestled against, I would say, in my time. And uh, Adam was one of them, and, and Sean Spears is the other, who wrestles as Ty Dillinger now in, uh, in NXT. And uh, for me, Adam and I, we just always kind of clicked. And uh, Adam has a real rough and rugged style where he kind of he always brings it. It's very physical. And uh, that's not usually my favorite style. But when you're in it, you really feel it and you're really uh you really feel part of the action and i think because of that the fans really feel it the fans really get invested so everybody kind of gets really invested in it i think because of the physicality and um and because of uh the chemistry that that Adam and I had he's he's he, he was an amazing wrestler you know I, he's now using his uh his mind um you know with the WWE and uh you almost hope that they they would uh give him a chance to you know, I mean, Billy Gunn was wrestling with him while being an agent or a coach when he was like 51 years old. So I think Adam's 37 now. So, you know, maybe they'll they'll let him uh, go out there and play a little bit. 
I, I sure as hell hope so. Obviously, you know, he's not too old, and he, he still, I think, can go. That would be really cool. But something, you know, besides the documentary and besides, you know, the comedy wrestling, one thing that drew me to you years ago when I used to go to all the ROH shows, when ROH was in, you know, their, their main prime, where I think where they had so much talent, was that you were doing some comedy stuff, and boom, you flipped the switch, and you're feuding with Homicide, and it was just like a blood feud, and it was a different side of you that the fans kind of didn't expect and kind of elevated you to the main event of a hugely successful ROH roster. Can you just talk about kind of flipping the switch back then and, and that awesome Homicide blood feud that you had? Sure, and it's fun that, I mean, people still talk about that. So, you know, I think over 10 years now, and, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it, it's just... Um, I, that's what I, I like being silly. You know, I show it in the movie. It's kind of like, that's my preferred way. But obviously I'm a trained wrestler and I've been doing this a very long time. And, um, you know, I'm very capable of doing other styles or, uh, or different techniques in wrestling. And so, um, you know, I'll do the comedy stuff, but if there's ever like a belt on the line, you know, if you saw my, you know, maybe my match with Jay Lethal, from the pay-per-view in Chicago uh, yep. earlier this year, yep. you can see, like, I know when to be a goofball and when not to be. So I think this was an instance of, um, you know, um, just the story itself didn't call for it. I've, you know, the beginning of that story was I was a goofball, and that's what it was pissing Homicide off. And then we were able to tell this whole different story. And um, I think it's really fun because it was such a contrast of styles. It was the street thug almost gangbanger, if you will, from New York uh, against this mama, mama's boy, um, you know, <laughs> uh, kid from the suburbs of Chicago. And I think that's uh, fun in anything, in any kind of feud, is uh, just a real yin and yang. And uh, I think that's why that was so successful. Uh, I mean, amongst other things, I think we both, you know, we both did our jobs, and I think we uh, did our jobs well. So, um, But I do think it was, it was cool because we were so different. And then we were able to work so well together. And then what was so cool about after that, you kind of flipped the coin again and almost flipped the switch. And it's like you had a feud with Brian Danielson over the ROH world title. And it was like, man, this guy, you know, has that world of sports style, that British style. I mean, he's such a good wrestler. And then you throw Brian Danielson in the mix and you guys are having, you know, great matches. And then obviously the 60-minute draw, which is so many people remember the most over in Chicago just an awesome match. So can you talk about kind of flipping the switch again and kind of showing your wrestling side against Danielson? Yeah, that was so fun, that match, because I remember just like we were thinking about the psychology and how to do it, and then uh, what was it? I was it was I was up one to zero. Yeah, I was up one to zero with like four minutes left, and then my my, my strategy was just to try to, to get away from him and let the time run down as a baby face, which isn't normal. But in the situation I was in Chicago, it was like 58 minutes into the match. I was winning, which meant I would have won the title. And then I was just trying to dodge him and I was running away and everyone was cheering for me to like, get away. And then um, finally he did get a hold of me. And I think he rolled me up or he made, something either way. It went to one to one. And then what happened was obviously that was a tie and he could, he still maintained his title um, and you know, he, he separated his shoulder five minutes into that match too, which is just speaks for his work ethic and, and just how, just how amazing he was as a wrestler. And I always remember like, uh, before he, and almost in the time 
when the first wrestling road Di- Di- wrestling road diaries was um was released you know he was just this high profile independent wrestler wwe like didn't you know, they still didn't see anything in the, even when they made him a champion. But, <laughs> you know, no one really wanted to touch him. I don't even think TNA wanted to give him a spot. Was, which, And, like, I just always looked at him as, like, I always knew, like, even at, like, he was, like, 30 years old, I was like, man, this guy's, like, the Lufez of our generation. And he's just so respected. He's so good. And at that time, he was, like, 12 or 13 years in. And he was just – I thought he was just going to be this guy that would roam around, you know, the smaller circuit for years because um, everyone was afraid to look at him. And, he, and at that time, you know, obviously WWE has changed the way they look at their prospects, and he's one of the big reasons. Um, but at that time, it was just like, if you weren't 6'5", 280, you weren't going to get put on television, and he wasn't even close to that. So I just assumed he'd be this, uh, you know, like I said, like the Luthes of our generation, just going from town to town and wrestling and having these amazing matches and never being really a high-profile wrestler. And you see uh, just you know, that's the complete opposite. He went on to become, you know, the, the highest focal point of our industry. And uh, I'm just glad other people recognized it and other people got to know him and see him as a wrestler. He's an amazing wrestler. And those, a lot of those matches were, you know, both of us, you know, putting in. But, you know, you, you always just knew how great of a wrestler he was. He's amazing. It's amazing, you know, because you uh, basically were hold for hold for him and you kept up with him. And I remember he gave you a lot of credit for that match because he separated his shoulder and, hard to wrestle 55 minutes against uh, you know an injured guy but you were able to do it and pull off you know a hell of a you know i guess you could say four or five star you know rated match because it was crazy and, and a great match so it just goes to show what you're capable of, of, of as well well i appreciate it yeah i mean I, like i said i like to think i'm uh i'm a well-rounded guy and you know I, whatever it calls for i can do but obviously my my preferred stuff is to be a little goofy in there do you like doing the world of sports style, the British style? Because you seem to have mastered that style as well. Yeah, I love it. I, you know, I when I toured over uh, in England for three months in 2004, like I really got to, first of all, I got to meet a bunch of the guys. Uh, and then, because what happened was I was touring over there and like I really felt ingrained in the, um, just like the culture of, of British wrestling. And then like I start thinking about like, man, the guys 30 years, 40 years ago, like I'm doing the same thing that they were doing. And I really get to feel that, like I am, like I am a pro wrestler. And at that time, I quit my job to become a full-time pro wrestler. So it was really, it was really romantic almost for me. And that was, you know, the first time I felt that I was a full-time pro wrestler. I was in England, and some of the world of sport guys were still around. Guys like Robbie Brookside and Johnny Kidd, and and um, and so you know, I, I weirdly fell in love with the style. And I just found myself watching hours and hours and hours of tape. And there were guys like Les Callett and Cat Weasel that I, I, I became to, I started emulating a little more. There's also guys like Burt Royal and Vic Faulkner and, and um, Mick McMichael who did this amazing wrestling technique, but also had smiles on their faces. And also, you know, they like it was it was like great wrestling with a hint of comedy because they didn't take themselves too seriously. They were just having like a good time, but they were also trying to win. But they were recognized that like, wow, this is fun. I'm in, I'm wrestling, and so that's kind of like that's kind of like the main aura I try to take away when I bring to my matches. It's not, you know, I'm not trying to be like some crazy Osaka pro over the top wrestler or something, but I'm also not trying to be a serious kickboxer either. So 
I always thought those world of sport guys had it like they had it right. They it's something I really like to emulate. Always fun to watch, and obviously, you know, you mastered that style, and it's so cool. But you know, you mentioned it kind of briefly before. You said you wrestled Jay Lethal, obviously, uh, WrestleMania weekend last year in uh, Chicago, <clears throat> or wherever um, he wrestled Lethal, and you kind of made your return to ROH. Now, what was it like, kind of returning to ROH after all these years? Yeah, I returned WrestleMania weekend, and then a couple of months yeah. later, we did the yeah. pay per view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I um. You know, obviously there was a little bit, um, you know, I was asked to, uh, I was basically fired from Ring of Honor by Jim Cornette. And, um, and you know, like, obviously I'm, I'm not happy with Jim Cornette for that decision he made. Like, no one likes, no one, like, agrees and is happy when they get fired from a place. So, yeah, there's a little, like, you know, in my heart, Jim Cornette's not my favorite person. But also... If that was if I was in that position and I didn't like somebody, that's what you do. You get rid of them, you know. So, uh, you know, Sinclair Broadcasting took over the company, and I think that's where I was a little sad that they hadn't realized I had been with the company since 2002 or 2003 when it started. I'd wrestled in the Murphy Rec Center, you know. I was a real big hmm. part of that history, and um, and uh, so there was a little chip on my shoulder. And when they when they got rid of Jim Cornette or when he left. They did ask me to come back, and I still, I, I just, I, I didn't feel like, um, I don't know, it just didn't feel right to me. I still had that chip on my shoulder, and they, they've asked me throughout the years, and it's been about five years, and I kind of said to myself, like, you know, I, I think um, I, I think I should let this go. I should bring, a, a, you know, an, an, uh, a bit of positivity into my life when it comes to this, and there's no reason to hold that over anybody's overhead. I, I think those days are done. And it's kind of on, let's move forward. And since then, um, you know, I talk about how, like, they maybe they didn't recognize that I'd been there for a long time. You know, not, Nigel, who was kind of forced out of wrestling because of the style he wrestled in Ring of Honor, like, they still have a job for Nigel. They still pay Nigel. B.J. Whitmer is still there. Steve Carino is still there. So it's really cool to see that there's still a place for the guys who kind of helped build it if they wanted to be within the company. And... um and yeah, and so I, I've actually become friend, really good friends and friendly with Joe Coff, the guy who kind of has taken over, and Gary Juster, and um, and uh, it's been a real positive, um, positive uh, experience for me so far. I'm really enjoying it, and um, yeah, and I'm doing some stuff with Dalton Castle now, where uh, where we were teaming, and now we've kind of gone different ways, and so I look forward to where that's going to take us too. Yeah, that's been kind of cool because. Can you see the evolution of, of you over all the years, obviously with Punk and Steel as Second City Saints, and then you kind of come all the way forward, as you said, from those Murphy Rec days, which I went to, and those were some uh, crazy days. They're great to see where ROH has come since then, but now working with Dalton Castle, what's it like to work with him? Because some aspects of him, obviously, he's got a little bit of that comedy in wrestling as well. Yeah, and I think that's what it is. Is like I... There was a time, and you know, we talked about this before, where you know, when I, in my twenties, where I was a little jovial and a little more carefree. Uh, I see a lot of, you know, I, I got over in Ring of Honor because everybody was very serious, and I was the only one kind of being a little bit of a goofball, and I think it made me stand out from the pack. And I think the same thing's going on with Dalton right now too. And uh, I'm going to these shows, and I'm seeing the autograph lines, and I'm seeing the cheers and the pops, and this guy 
is fucking over and it is wild like good on him and so um yeah i think it'll it'll come out and it'll come through as a, as a good story that we're going to tell out there but uh he's um yeah he's uh he's a, definitely a star in that promotion future is bright for dolan castle it's definitely a unique different thing like you say kind of back in the day you were doing the kind of more of the comedy stuff and when you were with the saints obviously punk was more more of the serious role but you guys were tag champs for a while which was great and you and dolan castle not being able to get the tag titles kind of led to your little view which is which is kind of cool and it's almost like you're almost reversing the role a little bit you're kind of becoming more of the serious guy do you kind of see it going in that direction yeah well i think you know and it's kind of like in the um in the movie, I talk about the the role of the straight man, and uh, yeah, like I, I you know, I, I I assume that that's kind of kind of be my role now is that, uh, and I'm going to be the straight man maybe to his silliness or vice versa. You never know. I kind of uh, I, I was playing with the heel character a little bit this last weekend in Texas, and uh, it almost seems like a throwback to the old days for me. It's something I haven't done in so long, and. Um, it was uh, it was really fun, and it was different, and it was fun. So I'm looking forward to kind of the uh, the evolution, and kind of where this whole thing takes me. It's definitely a different page in my book, and uh, I think it's something I needed. Yeah, I was uh, I was actually in Baltimore for the TV tapings that are uh, going to be airing over the next uh, couple of months, and what a pairing is all I can say. And you know, again, I'm not going to spoil it, but it was uh, it's quite the story, and I really hope the viewers. Uh, eat it up like the crowd did because it was uh, it was quite the night. But if we can kind of switch over to uh, to the podcast a little bit, just want to kind of pick your brain as being that godfather of the uh, the podcast, as uh, as I like to call you. But obviously, you've been doing it for six, seven years now. You know, you've kind of transcended what it's like to do a wrestling podcast, appearing on non wrestling podcasts, talking about things outside of professional wrestling. Now, is that something? you kind of anticipated or is that something you're more than happy to oblige when you get the invite onto a non-wrestling show? Um, I mean, it was something I hoped for because, uh, you know, I mean, obviously the reason I started mine was because I was, uh, so enthralled with the comedy podcasting scene that was really starting to blow up. Um, but it was really only in Los Angeles and I wasn't a part of Los Angeles and I wasn't out there. I was, you know, I'm in Chicago. So, you know, I was watching from afar, and I was becoming fans of these guys. And then, you know, I started my own thing in, in this own little world of, of uh, you know, wrestling and wrestling podcasts. But um, there is a lot of fun crossover. And, and my whole my whole MO, I guess, has always been to kind of, you know, I guess a little bit make that crossover, but also hold on to wrestling. And so, you know, I, I want to be known as this guy who's doing these outside things, who is the wrestler, who's able to hold his own, who's able to go out there and, you know, make jokes with John Hamm on the Chris Gethard show or, you know, uh, you know, go on, I don't even know, like mystery show and, uh, and be known as the wrestler, but who can easily, you know, mix it up with these guys. And I pride myself on that, that, um, they don't have to worry, you know, when uh, the lights go on or the camera goes on or whatever it might be that I'm able to, to hold my own. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I don't know if I anticipated it, but I, I did hope that it would happen. And, um, and uh, and a little bit, you know, here and there it happens. I, would I like more? Yes, of course. But, you know, it's, uh, I'll, I'll do them one at a time. I love hearing, you know, from a, a non-wrestling fan who says, hey, you know, did you ever hear of this guy, Cole Cabana? You know, he was on X show. You know, he was great or he's so funny. And 
I, you kind of take pride as a wrestling fan being like, oh, I've been watching him for years. That's really good that you now know who he is. But I always love to hear that from outside fans. But do you like getting recognized by uh, outside of wrestling fans? Or have you been recognized because of doing uh, outside wrestling shows? Yeah, yeah, a couple of times. Um, I think I think Mystery Show was, I don't do you know the Mystery Show one or no? I'm not a hundred. I know just from hearing you, you know, talk about it. I don't know too much about it otherwise. Yeah, that was a number one podcast for a little bit. It was. It's on uh, Gimlet, which is an offshoot of uh, This American Life, kind of. Um, and that one, I would hear from a lot of people, a lot of people from high school, who were like, "Oh my god," you know, because if they're not in my world, they have no clue what's going on. But um, yeah, yeah, I uh, I like it, and I think the whole point is then. Uh, for them to understand our world as wrestlers and the wrestling community and then try to bring them in. And you got to do it slow. You can't be like, here's everything, you know. It's all about them hearing it and then you talk in and maybe, hey, you should, you know, depending on where they live, if you're in, you know, Vancouver, it's like, hey, you should check out ECCW at the Commodore. It's a real hipster vibe. You'll like it. Or Lucha Vavoom in in Los Angeles or PWG, uh, you know, or ICW. There's some really... AIW in Cleveland, there's some real cool, like, you know, those hipster shows where it's like one foot in, one foot out, and then if you dig it, you can kind of then put another foot in, and then you can kind of really get into it. And I feel that's how it happens. I think some people want people to just dive right in, and it's just a, it's just not realistic. Like, it's got to be it's got to be baby steps into this crazy world. <laughs> I feel like the hipsters, uh, albeit some people might not love them, I've actually helped with getting the comedy wrestling over because uh, hipsters like things that are very ironic and uh, like things that are a little bit of an offshoot. And I think that uh, when you see those kinds of promotions that cater to that kind of crowd, it's really, uh, it takes on a life of its own. But, you know, with uh, podcasts kind of being a, a secluded thing, I mean, people know about them, people know what it is. I mean, with your guests that you've had, I mean, it's a who's who in terms of, uh, you know, current past guys you've worked with guys that we've never heard of that you know you found to be interesting but have you had somebody who's wanted to be on the show that you either haven't interviewed or it just wasn't the right you know mix for you in terms of like a chemistry perspective because you see these uh these interviews are so personal that you guys have a vibe right off the bat but has there been somebody that you're like eh, you know i'm not sure about uh you know having them on just because it, it would work or it wouldn't yeah, I've had, dude, I've had people ask me all the time to be on, and it's super awkward. And what's even weirder, man, and, like, I, don't, I hope this doesn't spawn people doing it, but it's, like, you know, like, in my head, I know who I want to have on, like, who I, and it's based off of a relationship. Like, it's either a relationship I have with someone or, you know, if it's, like, uh, you know, if it's a Hall of Famer or someone legendary that I, like, grew up or idolized, like, of course I'm going to want them on because – you know, I, cause I just, I'm curious and I want to talk to them, but for the most part, it's my friends. And so, uh, if people tweet saying, Hey, you got to have this guy on. And then they tag both of us. Like, it's just so, it, it's so awkward. And I hate it so much because like, you know, like I, it's like, I don't want to be like, no, this guy was a dick to me or no, this guy like ha- doesn't have enough of a life story that I'm like, that I think, you know, I can draw something out of almost. And I do, I think it's about like, for me, the show is really based on, because it was based on like my story of like this, like keep traveling all over and then getting the WWE and then getting fired and being like, what am I going to do with myself? Like, and, and talking about these stories in the locker room and, 
it's really talking about like all these life experiences with and using wrestling for those life experiences. And then, you know, I'll get a, I'll get someone requesting a guy who's just been in one promotion who wrestles once a month, you know, for four years or two years, whatever it be. And then like, in my head, it's like, man, like I, I, I need you to go out there and like, you might have like life experiences just in your own life, but like, I need you to experience wrestling before we can really vibe on that. And that's what it is. It's about that vibe uh, that both of us, me and whoever my guest is, is just, has been through the ringer, you know, we've had ups and we've had downs. And so that's kind of, uh, that's kind of important to me. So yeah, there are people who ask me to be on the show and, you know, I politely try to dodge it as best as I can, but, um, that's, that's the way it works. Uh, you know, obviously it's over 200 episodes, which is, you know, it's quite the, uh, over 300 episodes, 300, excuse me, 300, I'm thinking of us. I'm thinking of us at over 200 over 300 episodes, it's quite the undertaking, you know, and I know from our perspective there's frustration with episodes that you feel like should get a little bit more, you know, love or a little bit more attention, but has there been an interview where you're like, people completely missed the boat with, you know, finding more out about a certain guy or not getting the story, like, you did your job, but then, you know, the, uh, you know, the fan base and listenership wasn't really reflective on a, on a story that really needed to be heard. Oh, God, no, you know, I, I hate to say no to this, but I, I just, I, in my head, I'd like to think that, like, I, I've gained the trust and, like, people who listen to my show, like, really know what it's about and understand, like, what they're getting with it, that each one, like, and also in my head, like, if they're not tweeting about it or Facebooking about it, like, in my head, they're still, like, they still, like, listened and were like, man, that was good, you know? So maybe it's my own ego being like, yep, I assume that those people love that show. Uh, but, yeah, I, I don't know, like, I mean, obviously some have had feedback, but even the ones that don't have crazy feedback, I, you know, when I put it out, like, I still assume it was good because I know that person and I like that person and I want their story to be heard, so. It's so interesting about your career, and obviously, you know, we're talking about documentaries you've done and everything kind of where you've ended up, but I was very curious about how you started because we had on a steal a while back he's one of our favorite guests he was so funny uh i told him a great story about how i have used some of his awesome promos to prank call uh, my co-host chad because when he was fuming uh shooting with chad collier he used to curse him chad i'm gonna kill you chad I'm gonna kill you. <laughs> but when you started training with crazy a steel what was that like because he's not you know that much older than you were it's like oh this guy's a veteran of the business you know what i mean well, you know, he, I, I think Danny and Ace, who, you know, Danny Dominion, who also trained me along with Ace Steel, I would say he was about 25 when I was 18 and I walked in. And uh, in wrestling years, that's a lot, I'd like to think. So he had been doing it about seven or eight years. And, um, and obviously, like, when I walked in the doors to see what the, what the school was all about, you could see these two guys who looked apart. They had tans. They had bleach blonde hair. You know, they they looked good. You watched them in the ring. They were running fast. They they looked like real pros. And like, you know, I was a little smart mark kid, and I read the the torch and stuff. And so, like, I would hear about like you know Bastion Booger like doing a wrestling school and just sitting on a couch and stealing people's money. So that was like that was in the back of my head, you know. So, like, when I got in there and I just saw that these guys were, like, young and athletic and still going after it, um, I knew it was a good decision. And Ace always says that, like, Ace and Danny, like, they couldn't believe that, like, I was this outgoing kid. Because when I got there, like, I got there, like, 
you know, again, like I said, I, I read before, you know, I, I had been reading the torch since I was probably 13 or 14. And so you kind of hear these stories about people getting beat up in the locker room or disrespecting wrestling. So, you know, I knew to just go in there and, and just shut up. I knew that I knew nothing and I was trying to learn as much as I could. Like I had nothing to offer and they had everything to offer and I was paying them to, to teach me. So it wasn't for me to be a, to be a, you know, an outgoing silly goose at the time I was just there to learn. And so once I got comfortable, we all became friends. Then all of a sudden I started you know, speaking out and they, and they were kind of taken back by it. But those first, you know, five, six months or whatever, I, I just wanted to learn and they were great. They were great trainers. They are great trainers. And, um, it was a good experience. It was really good. You know, I had come from division one football, so I just always assumed that like, I think it was also like reading up about the power plant in high school and stuff that like, I just wouldn't be able to take wrestling conditioning. But what I didn't realize is that like I had been doing two a days in division one, a football in college. And so when I got there, you know, I was a little, I was almost overprepared, which, which was good. Of course, it's a good thing. So I didn't get like blown up or, or I wasn't throwing up any or anything. Just love the fact that uh, Crazy Steel and you not only, you know, he trained you, but then you guys go to ROH together for a bit and have some crazy epic matches. Is it cool kind of, you know, almost going place to place with the guy that trained you? Because it's almost like, um, you know, it's almost like him saying, like, this is my guy, you know, or like, these are my guys. He's kind of bringing you along almost. Yeah, it's nice when your mentor takes you in like that. And there was, there was a time in like 2001, you know, like that's maybe two years after training where Punk and I wrestled Danny and Ace like maybe like six weekends in a row for six different places. And so we were having all these matches, student versus trainer. And, um, and you know, it came a time where, um, you know, Ace was like, he accepted me as a contemporary, not just as, uh, as his, you know, a trainer-trainee relationship. And um, I always thought that was, that was, you know, it was just a, it's, interesting that that happens and i'm grateful that it happened and i think he's proud that it happened too you know i don't think he holds any uh any kind of spite or anything you know towards any any of his students success if it you know even if it was on a higher platform than he ever got to but you know he was signed by wwe he was also donald trump did you know that one yes (laughs) yeah (laughs) pretty far rosy (laughs) yeah so he's you know he's a star you know now now is his time to shine i'm surprised he's not doing uh doing conventions or I'm uh, surprised they haven't given him a call or something. <laughs> and another funny thing with you and him, it's just hilarious. If you go back and look at like some dark matches and stuff, you were Chris guy, obviously his real name. And then he was, uh, you know, Scott Gold or not Scott Goldman. He was uh, Scott Colton. Um, like, so that, is that something between you guys? You're like, oh, I'm just going to you know, fuck with him or I'm just going to mess with him. Uh, well, you know, that's just what comes with being friends and naturally ribbing each other. I think he was on, uh, he was on raw and he got his head shaved by, uh, and this back to the Trump stuff. He got his head shaved by Eugene or Bischoff or something. And they were like, Hey, say your name. And I just don't think he wanted to say his name. And he thought it'd be funny to pop me and make me laugh. And he called me Scott Colton. Or he called himself Scott Colton. And, uh, it was definitely funny. And then like the fun thing was, I think like maybe, couple months later i was on um i was on raw i think that was my day or my debut match i think that was Uma- I, I did umaga's debut match um which is kind of ironic because that was also my last match in wwe i got fired after i wrestled umaga scotty colden 
But I think I think they were like, "What do you want your name to be?" I was like, "Paul Cabana." And they're like, "Well, we can't do that because uh, Carlitos Cabana was a thing at that time." And so I was like, "Oh, I had to think of a new name." And I was like, "Oh, I know just the name." Uh, and of course, it was uh, Ace's Roman. <laughs> I just love that because you know, at the time, you don't really catch on to it, and afterward, you realize you, know, you become a smarter thing. You're like, "That is hilarious." These guys are ribbing each other, and I don't even know if the WWE has any idea. No, they had no clue. I mean, you know, so the, our friends backstage did, but you know, the higher ups had no clue. Yeah. I don't think Sergeant, I don't think Sergeant Slaughter was worried about uh, if we were ribbing each other or not. <laughs> that is great. That's so funny, and <clears throat> it's so cool that you know after you get your WWE release, some people get down the dumps. They're all oh, this could be the end or whatever. It was almost like that was like a new beginning for you. It was like, oh, you know, screw them. I'm almost going to prove to them that. Uh, I don't need them. I'm going to become this huge international star. Is that kind of what went through your mind? It was like a chip on your shoulder? Yeah. And, it, and, and you know, for a while, people would just say I was bitter. But, like, it, it wasn't – I mean, maybe it was bitter a little bit, but it was the thing that kind of drove me because I believed in myself, and I thought I was talented, and I thought I was good, and I just thought I wasn't given the right shake. And um, I wasn't ready to quit wrestling. And so – I, I you know, I, I just needed a platform, and the platform ended up really being the podcast, well, because obviously TNA wouldn't put me on their show, and Ring of Honor had then fired me, and WWE had fired me, so uh, that was the platform that I found, the medium. But uh, yeah, I always kind of talk about my career in post and pre, uh, before WWE and after WWE, and um, this is the most. I mean, it was being the worst wrestler in the WWE in the history of the WWE was the best thing that ever happened for me. And I couldn't be happier about the way my career has gone and, and, and everything that's happened since then. And that's usually not the way it goes. You know, a lot of people get down in the dumps. There was, um, you know, not to bring it, a, bring it a downer, but there was a guy who, who, had, uh, who had taken his own life because he just couldn't, uh, I think his name was Bad Seed. He had been fired from WWE Developmental and he just couldn't cope with it. And uh, I'm sure there was a, a bunch of other things that, that went along with that, but he had taken his own life and like, you know, that's the reality of what can happen. Um, and so like, you know, gratefully, you know, I used it as a motivator to make, uh, to make my life well and to make my career well too. Absolutely. And you kind of, uh, became even bigger star, obviously with the podcast, with the documentaries, with, you know, kind of going international and just making your name all over the place. And I love the fact that you had a great tag team in uh, Pro Wrestling Noah not too long ago, speaking of international, with Chris Hero. Is that a lot of fun going over there, you know, last year in Noah and, and kind of tearing it up with Hero? Yeah, I, uh, you know, it's, it's um, you know, when you're not with a promotion, and at that time it wasn't with Ring of Honor, and sometimes you're like, uh, I don't have a home base. And then when you almost find one in Japan, you know, and Japan's always been the place where, you know, it's almost those hidden talents. And, you know, Carl Anderson is one of those guys is where, oh, if no one wants to use you in America, we'll go over to Japan and we'll become stars. So um, that, that was kind of romantic, too, that we were, able, we were over there. They, were, they, were, they kind of recognized us as a team, as good talents, and they were pushing us. And um, Hiro and I, did a, we had a nice little run in Noah. And um, it also, it, again, it was like I felt like a real wrestler. I was doing the job. We would travel up and down Japan, uh, all these long bus rides. And a lot of people hated the bus rides, especially Lance Archer because he was seven foot ten. But um, 
for me, it was just like, I, I think about the ones that did it before us. And you think about Gordy and, and Hanson and Brody, you know, on those same buses doing the same trips, wrestling in the same places. Cause we, we'd wrestle in the same places that those guys did. And, uh, to me, that's really cool. Awesome. Awesome stuff. And as we hit the wind down button here, you know, we talked about some classic moments in your career, but I'm always curious with a guy like you, because you like literally have wrestled everywhere and you've been wrestling for almost 20 years. And it's just crazy to think of some of the epic feuds you were in or some of the awesome matches. I mean, we mentioned Brian Danielson on homicide and obviously uh, Scrap Daddy, but do you have a favorite match or, or a couple of favorite matches that kind of stand out in your career more than others? Um, you know, I, I usually don't. It's, it's always a weird question. I, I don't, there's not one. I mean, I can look back and I always, you know, I think about wrestling homicide, uh, the WrestleMania weekend in Chicago and kind of the, the when we capped off that feud, I, I think about wrestling Johnny Saints in Sheffield in front of a thousand people. Um, uh, you know, the, the first time I ever wrestled in Cork and Hall, the rest time I wrestled Steve Carino in Cork and Hall, where we were voted for zero one, we were voted, um, uh, Japanese match of the of the month by uh, Weekly Magazine, and uh, you know the time Punk and I won the Ring of Honor Tag Championships in in Chicago against the Briscoes. Uh, just there's a lot. There's just um, there's just so many different ones for so many different reasons. And um, you know I even think about the time I we you know I wrestled uh, myself and Sanjay Dutt versus Kevin Matthews and uh, Trent Beretta. In, uh, in India, in a in a field, um, in a in a dirt patch, in a, on a twenty four by twenty four boxing ring, that was as hard as the cement floor, and you just think, you know, that that's just as fun of a memory as uh, as some of the bigger shows. So, um, yeah, there's just uh, there's a lot of different matches that stand out for a lot of different reasons. And we mentioned before you've had so many great opponents, and you mentioned. Sean Spears, a.k.a. Ty Dillinger, and Adam Pierce being your favorite kind of opponents as heels. But who are some opponents that are kind of under the radar, kind of underrated, that kind of don't get the credit that maybe other people, you know, should give them, but somebody that you think you had great chemistry with that maybe kind of flies under the radar? Oh, God. Uh, there's probably some guys that I'm thinking of that I can't think of. You know, one of the guys I really like is uh, a guy, you know, RJ City, who I had on my uh, show. Uh, who, who I went in knowing that not a lot of people wouldn't know who he was. But I thought he was really interesting, and I think he's a guy who's um, who's made to be a star, and the wrestling world hasn't really taken to him. There's a couple of guys up there in Toronto. You know, Tyson Dukes is another one who I think is wonderful. And, uh, you know, he had some, I, I think, uh, oh, I don't know the story, but there were some visa problems, not on his behalf, but uh, the company that brought him over for... Uh, that uh, the network special, I think, kind of, <laughs> I think, kind of screwed up, and so now he's. Uh, I don't think he's allowed back in the country anymore, and that's kind of a shame. Uh, Cody Deaner is another fun one. Uh, Sanjay is another fun one. There's a lot of guys that don't get a lot of love that are really good, um, and they will. You know, as long as they keep at it and keep keep moving forward, somebody. You know, I, I think talent will always get recognized. The cream will always rise. That's crazy to hear about uh, Tyson Dukes. That's kind of sad uh, in a way as well. They screw him over like that. But uh, you know, with you, is there any sort of dream match that you have? A guy that you never wrestled, or you know, could be 
maybe a guy that passed on or something, or, you know, a guy you always dream, like, oh, me and him would have had awesome chemistry or an awesome match. Any dream opponent for you? Yeah, well, you know, I had Santino Morello on my podcast this past week, and um, he really probably was, uh, I don't know, a dream opponent, or maybe dream tag team partner. But, um, yeah, I just thought the world of him, and I, I, I thought his stuff was so funny, and he just had this natural natural comedic element to him that was just so amazing. And uh, obviously that's somebody who I just uh, I would have loved to, to make a match with. And also, like, we, Santino and I talked, like, a little bit about, like, how he would go around um, and do house shows, and he had this one house show match with, with uh, Jack Swagger that, you know, they would kind of fix it and, and make it better. So, like... For me, it would almost be like that would be a dream match, but the dream scenario would to be do thirty matches with Santino and fix it, and then that thirtieth match that would be the dream match if that makes sense. Gotcha, it definitely makes sense. And before you mentioned something which is funny, you said that you know you and Homicide, you said it was kind of you know the street tough against the mama's boy. And since you are you know a, a mama's boy, how is your mom doing after the Chicago Cubs? just won the world series and how are you doing after that i i mean it's exciting it's chicago's really excited my mom is seven years old and uh yeah she went to every single game in 1969 she sat at the bleachers for a quarter and uh she's been this beginning seven years she's waited to see the cubs win wow. and uh you know and obviously you know 108 years chicago's been waiting for the cubs to win so it, it's an exciting time around chicago i'm excited uh, I'm, you know, I'm proud and happy to be a Chicagoan. I'm proud that the the current roster could fix what hap- what's happened for the past, you know, for that franchise. <laughs> um, but also, like, I'm not crazy obsessed, and I'm I'm a realist about it. So, like, I'm very happy, um, and it's just a good thing, you know. It's not like, uh, you know, I don't know. Like, I'm just it just makes me happy, and I am happy. So, but that's kind of the extent to it. Hey, if you're happy, we're happy, and everybody's happy. And before we wrap it up and get into the big final plug for the Wrestling Road Diaries 3, what we like to do when we end it is we get out the old crystal ball. We like to shake that bad boy up like the Magic 8 ball and look into it and say, in five years, what does Cole Cabana see himself doing? Is he still podcasting? Is the Wrestling Road Diaries 5, 6, 7, or 8 going to be out there? Is he going to be working for a major promotion? Are you going to still be in wrestling? But where do you see yourself in five years? Yeah, I'll definitely be in wrestling. Um, you know, I uh, earlier the, uh, a year or two ago, I signed a development deal with a production company who had made a couple successful television shows, and uh, we put together a sizzle and we tried to pitch. They put it together a sizzle and they tried to pitch it out to a bunch of companies, and um, you know, it, it didn't work at that moment. But uh, that's where I kind of see things going. And I hope to see things going. So I plan on being in wrestling. I plan on wrestling. I plan on podcasting. But I'd also, I'd like to kind of like, you know, like I said, like I've dove into the to the comedy and uh, or that kind of world. And I've been invited by other people. Uh, I'd like to kind of dig in. If it's not television, maybe a streaming platform. Um, that's kind of what I, I'm working on right now. And uh, I hope that's uh, in five years I can be kind of producing and working on stuff like that, almost taking the road diaries the way that I've taken over this and, and maybe, you know, making, I wouldn't say making it bigger, but using more money to, to make a, a cooler production, if you will. 
That's uh, no, it's so awesome, and we definitely uh, we implore you to get out there and to get your hands or get your eyeballs on the Wrestling Road Diaries three and called. Please take the floor. Tell the fans and the listeners of the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling just where they can get the Wrestling Road Diaries three and anything and everything else in the world of Boom Boom himself, Mr. Colt Cabana. Well, there's a lot, but. Uh, yeah, so the movie is shipping now. I'm, I, I've been sitting here and I've been packing and, and, and uh, shipping out all day. It's uh, 20 bucks. Uh, if you buy it now while supplies last and they're still here, uh, you can get a signed autograph copy by both uh, Grado, Kikutaro, and myself. We've all signed a, a cover card that we slip in there. For an extra fiber, you can get bonus material. Um, and then uh, on Friday, November 11th, so I don't know when this is airing, but um, you can, it'll be digital for uh, $12. On, it's all available at coltmerch.com, digitalcolt.com. And uh, my, my website is coltcabana.com. My Twitter is at coltcabana. My Instagram is at coltcabana. And if you're into podcasts, I also do another podcast called uh, Pro Wrestling Fringe, which is on howl.fm. If you go to howl.fm slash colt, you can listen to a free episode that's up there. Uh, it, it is behind a paywall. You can get the free. You can get the first month for free. You can just quit afterwards if you don't want to listen, and then you don't have to sign up for. It. You don't have to pay for anything. But uh, those episodes are about. Uh, it's a storytelling podcast about weird stuff uh, that's happened in the past in wrestling. And uh, you know, like I have a. I love the history of wrestling. I find something so awesome about it. So I've told. I tell. I've told stories about. Um, well, the new season's coming up November ninth, which is in a couple days here. And uh, the three episodes are one is about the the pro wrestling bear where it evolved from and some of the some of the cooler wrestling bears out there. One is on the French angel Maurice Delay, who um, was like known as the world's ugliest wrestler, and some people say that uh, Shrek was uh, designed after him. And the other was about all Japan women's in the '80s and '90s, which is kind of cool because there is a bit of a revolution, a little bit. You know, women are starting to get a little more respect, but back in the '80s and '90s. Uh, these women were drawing, you know, 25,000 people sold out arena just for a women's promotion. And it was really cool. And it was a time that hasn't been emulated since. And, uh, hopefully it's, it's, it's starting to get there again. Hopefully we can see it again. Uh, that's at howl.fm slash Colt. And, uh, you can listen to a free one. I think the free one up that's up is about Tom McGee, the guy that was supposed to, uh, be the next Hulk Hogan. Oh yeah. But ended up just, ended up just <laughs> kind of being a scruff. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, there's so much to talk about with uh, with Tom McGee, but Colt, you are quite simply the man, and continued success in the Wrestling Road Diaries three was absolutely unbelievable, and goes perfectly next to Wrestling Road Diaries one and two. And we thank you so much for taking the time with us tonight, and uh, it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks, guys. It was a fun chat. I'm uh, going to hang up, and then I'm going to continue uh, packing these. It's the international ones; they're hard to ship because there's a lot of there's a lot of work on the computer that you got to do with that. It's not just a quick button. you kind of got to type in all the addresses. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, have fun with that and uh, all the best. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.